Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. On maternity leave, I called a pastor friend of mine for some help with discernment. He has this comforting presence, years in the trenches of the pastoral life, and is completely unassuming. And as a wise person would say, he humbly told me that he wasn't sure how much help he would be, but that he would try. I shared with him that I was discerning what I should do in this new season of my life, what my particular calling would be at St. Timothy's in this season of my life. I was now a mom, and my husband, Alec, had just received a new position as a campus pastor at Menlo Church. Was there something specific that God was calling me into at St. Timothy's? He gave me some questions to consider, and then he said something that stopped me in my tracks. It's all about Jesus, Jonna. His statement was so fundamental that it almost seemed comical. It's all about Jesus. In my quest for a specific answer to my question, his statement felt jolting and important, reorienting. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's such a simple statement, and yet it's so hard. If we're honest with ourselves, our egos, agendas, fears, and desires so quickly crowd in and take center stage. And it's natural, actually. Our natural disposition is to be focused on ourselves, to be self-centered and desire to be self-sufficient. The author of 1 John wrote to a church, or perhaps multiple churches, who had lost people due to false belief. Now, it's unclear what this false belief was, but it seems to have centered around the person of Jesus. Was Jesus really human, or did he just seem to be human? Was Jesus divinity with him his entire life, or did it leave him right before he died on the cross? So was he mostly human and only partly God? Whatever their belief, they seemed to conclude that they no longer needed Jesus. They were no longer sinners and didn't need to receive the forgiveness of God. It therefore didn't matter how they lived their lives. They were fine. So the Christians left behind needed encouragement. They were likely also tempted to leave, to believe that they were no longer sinners and didn't need Jesus. Who wouldn't be attracted to a gospel of self-sufficiency? But self-sufficiency was not the truth. It was not the gospel. So John wrote to the church to encourage them in Jesus. He didn't encourage them that they were somehow better than the others or they were smarter people, but he reminded them that they had eternal life in Jesus. 
They had eternal life because they believed the testimony of God that Jesus is God's Son. Perhaps it's surprising how blunt this letter is. It's all about Jesus. It's not about John or some complicated theology or perspective. It's not about being nice or smart. It's about Jesus, the Son of God, whom God revealed through his baptism, death, and the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, the Spirit descended into Jesus, and the voice of God spoke, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus was revealed as God's Son at his baptism, and he was revealed at God's son, as God's Son in his death. He obediently died to forgive the sin of the world. His death was no illusion. Water and blood poured out of his side. He had died fully God and fully human. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, and Jesus showed himself to many people. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came and has continued to give testimony to the truth of Jesus. All who believe in Jesus have eternal life. This is a life that goes beyond our imaginations. It has no end. But it's not simply a life that never ends. It's a qualitatively different life. It's the kind of life which Jesus described in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's the reason Peter remained with Jesus when other disciples left in John 6. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Eternal life, true life, is found in Jesus. It's so simple and unambiguous that it's tempting to make it difficult. It's tempting to say that there has to be more, that the truth of life is really more complicated than that. But when we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that anything more and anything less is not the truth. Eternal life, true life, is found in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Karl Barth was a Swiss pastor and prolific theologian, known especially for his commentary on the book of Romans. His influence was and is so consequential that he has been referred to as the most important theologian in the 20th century. In his one visit to the U.S. in 1962, he was asked to summarize the essence of the millions of words he had published. And he replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Nothing more, nothing less. It's all about the love of Jesus. It's all about Jesus.
So what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, we quickly know what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like self-focus, the church amassing for itself, making money, concerned with having the most members, protecting like-minded people, and being flashy. It doesn't look like the church's leaders building their egos and living safe lives. It doesn't look like our natural selves. A criticism of Christians is that we make Jesus to look like us. In other words, we make Jesus in our image. He has our personality, our likes and dislikes, and he even looks like us. We recognize that this criticism is valid when we look at Scripture and feel a tension within ourselves. Being all about Jesus means that we receive Jesus as he has been revealed. You and I don't set the agenda or determine who Jesus is. We look outside of ourselves. We look to the primary source of revelation and ask that God inform and shape us. We look to Scripture. Scripture reveals that being about Jesus means being disciples, following not a set of rules but the person of Jesus. And it's unquestionably not the easy path. It means being honest and attentive in prayer. As Jesus desperately prayed the night in which he died, for the Father to remove this cup that he might not have to suffer and die he walked away knowing that this was precisely what the Father was calling him to do. It means obedience. It means being uncomfortable. Jesus called his disciples to get up and follow him, leaving behind everything that they had known. Jesus, with his disciples, surrounded himself with the outcasts, the sinners, of society. He ate meals with them. He loved them and he called them to repentance. It means repentance. Turning from the trajectory we would like to set for ourselves, the way in which we're heading, and turning around to face the direction of Jesus. It means humility and sacrifice, recognizing our sinfulness and placing others above ourselves. And finally, it means death. You and I cannot be disciples of Jesus. We cannot follow Jesus unless we die to ourselves. We cannot follow Jesus if in truth we are following ourselves and our selfish desires. As Jesus said, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. As we look to the example of the disciples in scripture, we recognize that this calling is a lifelong journey. The disciples constantly got it wrong. They constantly said the wrong thing, did the right wrong thing, thought the wrong thing. 
And yet the calling remained to carry their cross and follow Jesus. It's not a safe or predictable calling. It's unsettling and risky, but it's good. And it's the way to eternal life. It's the way to true life. It's like the person of Jesus characterized by C.S. Lewis's uh, character Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Son of God and the way to eternal life, true life. He is worthy to be praised, and he is worthy to be followed. So expect to be challenged. Expect to be humbled. Expect to be surprised. Because it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, it's all about you. We confess that often our attention is to ourselves. We pray and we worship you. And yet our heart is not open to you. It's not open to your spirit and what you are calling to, you are calling us to be and to do. We confess our self-centeredness. We ask that you reorient our hearts, reorient us to Jesus so that we may follow him, the way, the truth, and the life, true life. We pray that through, through us, through your church, the world would see you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.